The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm going to tell you, we got to get macaroni and cheese off the table. All right, guys. It's just cheese and noodles. All right, I'm going up. I'm getting on my soap opera. It's just cheese and noodles, and it's not that good. I've never liked macaroni and cheese. And you know how they say, like, oh, your taste buds change every seven years. Uh, you just got to. Every, every time I try it, it's the same thing. And it's never going to change, and it's never going to get better. All right? I'm almost 30 now. I'm pretty set in my ways, and it's disgusting. It's probably one of the most overrated dishes. I'm getting on my soap opera. It's just cheese and noodles, and it's not that good. Let's be honest, guys. Everybody's pr probably here. It's a little lactose, so it mess up our stomachs. Get it off the table. The bathrooms will be uh, less busy, and everybody will have a better day. So if you want to have a good Thanksgiving, don't cook macaroni and cheese. My goodness, Matthew Judon wants us to get off of his lawn and to take our macaroni and cheese with us. I got some thoughts on that, but first let me say good afternoon and hello to Shereen Williams. It's PFT PM, just a couple of days short of Thanksgiving. I don't have a problem with somebody not liking something. We're all different. We like different things. We dislike different things. But just because I don't like something, I'm not going to say... Everyone else should not like it. I hate mustard, but I'm not trying to run the mustard industry out of business by campaigning against mustard. I don't care. I don't like it. It's not like other people enjoying mustard is forcing me to enjoy mustard. So, Matt Judon, let everybody who likes mac and cheese enjoy their mac and cheese. If you don't want it, you don't have to eat it. Good afternoon. Can I confess, when he first started that, I hadn't seen it. I thought he was talking about Mac Jones. I was like, oh, wow, he calls, he, he calls Mac Jones mac and cheese, too. Yeah, uh, he, I think he likes that mac and cheese. He doesn't like the other mac and cheese. <laughs> and, and I say all that because I explained this morning that my mother made mac and cheese a very unique way. And, and I think different people make it different ways. There's a wide variety of recipes and styles. And my sister always makes it when she comes to visit the way my mom made it. So I decided tomorrow night, because my son loves it, I'm going to try to make it. And I know I'm going to screw it up, but I'm going to try my damnedest. I have the recipe, and I'm going to try to make my mom's mac and cheese. And then my son will eat it all, and I will get a chance to even tell whether or not it tastes like my mom's, because my son will be the one who judges it. Well, that's what we're going to have here, too. We always have Thanksgiving on Wednesday, obviously, because everyone goes to the Cowboys game on Thursday. So we're having Thanksgiving tomorrow. I'm cooking for eight people. We will have mac and cheese. It's not my favorite thing, but I eat it. But same thing. Tom, my husband, will probably eat all of it, and the rest of us won't get a whole lot of it. But it, it is good. I, I do like it. I just like other things better on Thanksgiving. And, and I'll give you an example. I don't like sweet potatoes, but I'm not going to go on some anti-sweet potato rant and try to deny other people their enjoyment of sweet potatoes. I don't like them. 
I don't eat them, but I don't like run from the buffet table because they're there. They don't diminish my enjoyment. <laughs> I look at it this way. The more people eat the sweet potatoes, that means there's more of more the turkey. stuff that I like. So go ahead, load up on the sweet potatoes, bring more sweet potatoes, just eat all the sweet potatoes. I'll have everything else. All right. Uh, let's get to the news of the day. And this is breaking just as we're coming on the air. The Tennessee Titans have waived future Hall of Fame running back Adrian Peterson. He was the guy that they signed just after Derrick Henry suffered a foot injury that likely will knock him out for the year. Clearly not sufficiently pleased with his performance or they would have kept him around. And, hey, this guy, he, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the best to ever do it. And I admire the fact that he just keeps going and going. And it's unfortunate it didn't work out. But there's only so much mileage you can put on the car before the car is not going to run like it used to, Shereen. Yeah, exactly right, Mike. And I don't know if this is the end of the road or not. I would suspect it would be based on it took him so long to even find a team to sign with. And he finally signs with the Titans, who desperately needed a running back. They gave him an opportunity and, and it didn't work out because he is probably a step slow now from what he once was. But he, if it is the end, or even if it's not, he's going to have a hard time moving up on that rushing list. Probably will retire as the fifth all-time leading uh, rusher, which is something to be said for that 14,902 yards. Quite a career if this is the end. Uh, won't remember him for his brief stay with the Titans, but will remember all the huge games he had, particularly for the Vikings. And, you know, we were just talking yesterday, Mike, in that MVP conversation about he's the last running back to win the MVP award. Yeah, and he did it with a very, very strong kick in 2012, maybe the kind of kick we're going to see Jonathan Taylor engage in this year. And Adrian Peterson did it all after suffering a torn ACL Christmas Eve at Washington at 2011. He was ready to go week one, and he got better and better and better as that season went on. Finishes so far this year with three appearances, 27 rushes, 82 yards, 3.0 yards per carry, one touchdown. And, and I guess he could come back to the Titans potentially, but they, they wouldn't have let him go if they really – valued what he could do because they'd be worried somebody else is going to sign him, claim him on waivers, whatever the case may be. So Adrian Peterson out in Tennessee and the Titans trying to turn it around after they had an unexpected loss to the Texans. They've got a trip to New England coming up in five days. The big news of the day after last night's debacle in Tampa, where the Giants just looked like they could do nothing right especially on the offensive side of the ball and I don't know if it's Daniel Jones the offensive line the receivers the running backs also has you know something to do with the fact that the Buccaneers are pretty good on defense but it was abysmal it was a disaster and today Jason Garrett former Cowboys coach fired as the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants I, I think a lot more needs to happen I don't dispute the necessity of this move, but this is just one of many things this franchise needs to do to try to get things pointed in the right direction. And maybe for Giants fans, it's an indication that they know that they have a lot to do and they're starting somewhere. I guess that's the message. Hey, folks, we know we suck. We know we got a lot of work to do. We got to start somewhere. So we're going to send Jason Garrett packing. Now we'll see what else they do between now and the start of the 20. 21 season and it's still not over 22 it's still not over for the Giants but three and seven the way they looked last night I, I think that we're getting very close to 
stick fork in them time, Shireen. It's such weird timing to me, Mike. Really weird. And he probably deserved to be fired based on what they've done. 26 games he was there, 30 points only once. They're averaging 18.9 points a game after averaging 17.5, which was 31st in the NFL last season. So they can't score points. And and I really haven't seen Daniel Jones get better, whether that's on Jason Garrett or whether that's just Jan- Daniel Jones isn't very good. But weird timing to me. And the only thing I can think, Freddie Kitchens is going to call the plays the rest of the season – He's a senior offensive assistant. Maybe they want to see what Freddie Kitchens can do with this offense. Can he make it better? Is he the answer there for offensive coordinator? And they'll get a chance over the rest of the season to find that out. As you said, I think it is looking more toward 2022 now. We're not very good. We're 3-7. and seven. We're not going to make the postseason. Another wasted season. Let's go find out if Daniel Jones can be better with a different play caller. But I'll give Jason Garrett this. He doesn't like trick plays. He pulled everything out of the book yesterday. He had the, the throw to Andrew Thomas, which I thought uh, was very creative and got a touchdown out of that. And he hates trick plays. And I thought he did some things to try to get the offense moving. Unfortunately for him, it just didn't work out. And, you know, it, it could be it's a last gasp to try to turn it around this year as well. Maybe they look at their team and say, we're not untalented. We just need a shock to the system. We need something to try to wake this up and make something happen. And teams have made changes like that in the past, and it's been the impetus for something big. I think back to 2012. What did the Ravens do in December? They fired Cam yeah. Cameron as offensive coordinator, promoted Jim Caldwell, and went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Now, I think it would be beyond shocking if the Giants <laughs> would have that same yeah. kind of, of a bump with Freddie Kitchens, but you just get to the point where you have to do something. Primetime game, 15 days to get ready. And to look as bad as they look, this just feels like John Mara, the owner of the team, wanting something to be done. And there's not much you can do to still preserve your your desire to try to get to the playoffs. You fire your coach, you are giving up. Head coach, you're giving up. You fire Dave Gettleman now, what's the point in that other than to just throw someone's head to the fan base and say, okay, fine, we'll find a new GM in the offseason. But I, 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 a point that I've made as it relates to many teams, but it's particularly relevant to the New York teams because right now the GMs of both franchises, Jets and Giants, I would call embattled. Although Joe Douglas of the Jets, I think he gets cover from the presence of the Giants and Dave Gettleman, but I think both of those GMs are or should be in trouble. But the problem is when you bring in a new GM and you already have a coach, you have people out of sync, people out of whack. The new GM carries around in his pocket a list of the coaches he's been building for his entire career as coaches he would hire and he's going to want his own coach unless coincidentally the coach that he inherits is one of the coaches he was always going to hire so it's it's a bad situation to move on from the GM and keep the coach and I'm not advocating firing everyone I don't I don't know what I'm advocating for the Giants but the reality is they have to do something because whatever they're doing isn't working they haven't won a playoff game since winning the Super Bowl 10 years ago Right now, the franchise is lost. Right now, the franchise is adrift, and they really got some work to do. And firing Jason Garrett is by no means the end. It's the beginning. And where they go from here, a lot of it's going to depend on what happens for the next seven games and how far John Mara, the owner of the team, wants to go when it comes to telling people goodbye for good. 
I overestimated the Giants, Mike, before the year started. I thought they were going to win the division. I liked what they did in the offseason. I thought they had a good draft. I thought they did well in free agency. And to me, it was just a matter of Daniel Jones stepping up, of Saquon Barkley uh, being healthy, which we now know he, he hasn't done since his rookie season. Uh, and Daniel Jones, frankly, just hasn't looked like a franchise quarterback. So now I'm thinking this looks more like a team that's in rebuilding mode rather than a team that's ready to step up and win right away because you got to go out and find a quarterback. And whether it's trading for one of those veteran guys or drafting one next year, I think they're going to be in the market for a quarterback no matter who they have at GM, no matter who they have at head coach. I think in a way they're sort of, sort of starting over. But I'll say this about Jason Garrett. I questioned how good he was as a head coach. I have no question about how good he is as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator, because he did that for eight seasons in Dallas. But think about the quarterbacks that he had. He had Tony Romo and he had Dak Prescott. And he did really well with those two guys. They were number one in total offense a couple times, up there in the top five in the rankings. With a good quarterback, Jason Garrett can call a good game. They can score points. That wasn't his problem in Dallas. So I think he can get it done with a good quarterback. I think Daniel Jones is a big part of the problem in New York right now. And I think what they have to do is just pull the plug on Daniel Jones, and that means potentially pulling the plug on Dave Gettleman, the guy who drafted him. And, look, they never should have taken Saquon Barkley second overall. And I know that everybody thought Saquon Barkley was going to be special, but I'd like to think we've gotten to the point that unless we are damn sure that this is going to be Adrian Peterson, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, and you don't know what a guy's durability is going to be at the next level until he gets to the next level, you are taking a calculated and very real risk you're getting a guy who's going to be injured all the time because of the position, not because of the guy, but because of the position. The position entails throwing your body into a wall of strong, large, fast humans who are moving in the opposite direction you are moving, and it is going to inflict damage on the human anatomy. And that's what's happened with Saquon Barkley. I mean, hell, they could have had Josh Allen in 2018, and uh, not that Josh Allen this year is playing as well as we thought, but they'd be in a better position overall if they had had Josh Allen and groomed Josh Allen and developed Josh Allen. Now they're not developing Daniel Jones to the place where it's good enough and it's time for them to move on. And that's it. It's that simple. They have to move on from him. Then they have to decide who the GM is going to be. They have to decide whether it's going to be a GM that is going to want his own coach or if they can find a GM who is fine with Joe Judge. And when that person says it, they mean it, and they're not just saying what they have to say to get the job, and then they'll worry later about undermining the coach and hiring the guy that the new GM really wants, which happens from time to time. So good luck to the Giants. It's not going to be easy to get out of this mess. And I will add this. As Joe Judge said several weeks ago, the fish stinks from the head down, and he's absolutely right, (laughs) but the head of the fish in New York, Shireen, is ownership. Ownership is involved. Ownership is very involved. And Sims and I were talking about this earlier today. I think we were talking about it during a break. But Chris Mara is actually the VP of player personnel. They are like Jerry and Stephen Jones light with the Mara family. And they're brothers, not father-son, right? Chris and, Chris and John. Am I, have I lost my mind? Chris and John are brothers, I believe. But uh, that just shows you what a low profile they keep. They, 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 yeah. they, they have the big spoon in the stew, but it's not as conspicuous as it is in Dallas. At least Stephen and Jerry will stand there and take the heat. They'll take the accountability for the bad decisions that they make when they make bad decisions. The mayors try to hide behind the curtain a little bit, but they're very involved. And 
as Jed York said five years ago, you can't fire the owner. So that's the common thread over the last 10 years, and I think that gets overlooked because they do try to stay in the background, especially when things aren't going well. Well, and, and they do have a big hand in that organization. There's no question about that. And you see John Mara uh, talk when, when it's time to talk, and he's probably talks second most of, of any owner in the NFL to Jerry Jones, and he usually has something to say when he, when he does talk. So, yeah, they're very involved in that organization, and it, and it does go from, from the head down to the fish. And they need to find a coach that they really like and stick with that coach. And if that's Joe Judge, then stick with Joe Judge. Don't be changing coaches all the time. But they need a Bill Parcells-type coach who they think they can win with and to stick with them and not keep changing. But you got to have the coach and you got to have the quarterback to win in this league, as we all know. They may or may not have the coach. They certainly don't have the quarterback. There was actually some talk back in 2017 after Jerry Reese was fired that Chris Merrick could potentially be the GM, but that did not happen. He doesn't want to be a candidate for the full-time position. Yeah, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't want to have their name on the line the way that the Joneses have their name on the line. And there are plenty of owners out there who will say, I don't have anything to do with a football operation. And the truth is they do. They just use the coach and the GM and the other members of the football operations staff as the cover for their meddling. They don't want it to be obvious they're meddling, but they're meddling. And with the Maras, they're clearly meddling. They're just not as notorious about it as Jerry and Stephen Jones. All right, somebody needs to meddle in Chicago because things aren't going well there. A report emerged today from a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter who doesn't cover the Bears but has been a part of the Chicago scene for a long time, that Matt Nagy, the coach of the Bears, was told on Monday that he'll be fired after Thursday's game against the Detroit Lions. Here is Matt Nagy when he met with the media several hours ago with the first topic, of course, being the veracity of the report that he's been told he's out. And there's a report today that you've been informed last game is that is not accurate you know I have not um, you know I have great communication with ownership with George and Ted and, and Ryan but uh, I have not had any discussions what have been your discussions with George and Ted and Ryan this week just uh, um, for for uh, th- this week we have not talked um, this week and that's that was scheduled you know that's been uh, we we have a, a good schedule over the years where we have discussions um, like like you guys always hear us talk about you know we have constant um, communication uh, I always think it's good and healthy and um, and so we, we stayed on course and with the bye week and then with the short turnaround uh, with game prep um, we have not surprised that the Bears decided and and this is a PR decision. And I guess you would say it falls within that realm of reasonable minds may differ, but the Bears didn't react quickly to this report. They didn't put out a statement. It would have been very easy to put out a statement from ownership, not from the coach, but from ownership. Because here's the thing. If anybody's going to lie about this, let the guy lie who's leaving. We won't let the people who actually have told the guy who's getting fired that it's false. We won't have a statement from George McCaskey or Ted Phillips that it's false because they'd be lying. Let's let the guy lie who isn't going to be here because who cares if he didn't tell the truth two days before he got whacked. And I hadn't thought of that until just now. But why didn't you put out a statement? Why didn't you shout it down? And it festered for three hours. I wasn't going to do anything about it, but it caught fire. 
And then I did a little research. I see this guy won the Pulitzer. Well, that's good enough for me. So he wouldn't put it out there and attach his name to it if he didn't hear it from somebody that he trusted. So we'll see what happens. We, we have heard time and again, we just talked yesterday about broken ribs. Sunday night, ribs aren't broken. By Tuesday, ribs are broken. I mean, we, we see it all the time. And if they lose to the Lions on on Thursday, or even if they win, I mean, if that's what he's been told and they win the game, and they should, they should beat the Lions. Wouldn't that be something? A guy gets fired after he wins a game? I'm not sure that's ever happened, Shireen, other than to John Gruden. Wow. Yeah, I don't know that it's happened either, Mike, now that you say that. So, yeah, that would be crazy if that happened. You know, maybe they have made their decision based on what happens Thursday. If they lose the game, they fire them. If they win the game, they don't. Bears, as we know, have never fired a coach in the middle of the season. And, you know, Hallis would have been firing himself for, for many of those years if that was the case and that wasn't going to happen. Be like Jerry Jones firing himself as GM, and that's not going to ever happen. But maybe his future is hinging, his immediate future is hinging on this game on Thursday. And if they win, it keeps his job. If they lose, they don't. And it would be very strange if they win this game and they fire him anyway. And I don't know what would be the point of of firing him on Thursday if they win this game, Mike. I I don't see any point in that. But I do think Matt Nagy's days in Chicago are numbered, as in he is not going to be the head coach in 2022. And, by the way, I was incorrect. The Raiders lost right before John Gruden was fired. I, I to Chicago, right? Was it they, to yeah, Chicago? Yeah, they lost to the Bears. They lost to the Bears 20-9. to nine. Yeah. I thought for some reason they won. They won after he was fired, but they didn't win that game, that strange weekend between the leaks of the emails. But as to the Bears, when they traded up from 20-11 to 11 to take Justin Fields, I thought that was an indication that they've decided we're staying the course yeah. with Matt Nagy as the coach, with Ryan Pace as the GM, and with Ted Phillips as the president. Because, frankly, at some point, Phillips has to be on the firing line because yes. he's the guy who's been there for 20 years hiring the likes of Mark Tressman and Phil Emery to be coach and GM, respectively. And at some point, you got to say, the guy that we've put in charge of this team isn't getting it done. We need a new team president because he's the one that brought these guys in. And to the extent that there was some sort of a collective decision that they were going to to stay the course once they get Justin Fields and not fire Matt Nagy, you know, the problem that they are running into here is if they fire Nagy now or later, you have to find a coach that is on board with Justin Fields because there's a chance, just like you get a GM that's not on board with the coach, there's a chance you're going to get a coach who's not on board with the quarterback. What happened a decade ago in Denver? Josh McDaniels becomes coach of the Broncos. First order of their business was to run Jay Cutler out the door. They trade him to the Bears. So the Bears know exactly what can happen if you fire a coach, bring in a new coach, and you have a holdover quarterback. There's a chance that new coach who will say all the right things to get that five-year guaranteed contract, once he's there, that's when I worry about whether or not he likes the quarterback or doesn't like the quarterback or thinks the quarterback fits his system or whatever the case may be. So uh, that's a real risk they're going to take if they fire Matt Nagy. But it could be that Ted Phillips is throwing Nagy overboard to save himself. Because I'm telling you, at some point, Phillips has to be on the firing line here. Most teams have that person who is the team president, who is in position, and they have different titles, but in position to claim credit when things go well and in position to run for cover when things don't go well and never held accountable or rarely 
held accountable. It takes 15 or 20 years before ownership finally says, you know, you know who part of the problem is? The guy who never gets fired. The guy who's hiring the guys that we're firing. Maybe that guy needs to be fired. And I I think that if this collapses in Chicago, it is time to hit the true reset button all the way up to the team president. Well, this is a team, Mike, that hadn't won a playoff game since 2010, that wants a new stadium, that has everybody in the city chanting, fired Matt Nagy. I mean, we heard it at the Bulls game loudly last night. They want this guy gone. So it's hard to sell season tickets. It's hard to sell people on this team if Matt Nagy stays around. And it may go all the way up to Ted Phillips. And they need to hire better coaches than what they've hired recently because it hasn't worked out. Yes, they went 12-4 and four in 2018, but what did it end to? The double doink ends their season anyway in the first round. They can't even win a playoff game that year when they're 12-4 and four, and then 8-8, eight and 8-8, eight, eight and, eight, and now we know they're 3-7. and seven. Just not a very good team. It hasn't gone in the direction they've wanted it to go. To go. And maybe they need to absolutely clean house and start over. And by the way, you talked about the quarterback. One of the teams that Russell Wilson's agent named in the offseason was the Chicago Bears, by the way. Well, right, because that was Matt Nagy was there. And and he thought maybe if I pair up with Matt Nagy, I get myself an an Andy Reid-style Patrick Mahomes offense, I believe. Maybe maybe. The next step in the Russell Wilson saga in Seattle will be get rid of Shane Waldron and bring in Matt Nagy to be my offensive coordinator, although I'm not sure how Russell will feel about that after seeing how the Bears have gone lately. But Chicago, special town, great fan base, but the team just doesn't deliver. And for the dysfunctional teams, the common thread is ownership. And ownership typically does a good job of keeping their head low, their mouth shut, and their butts off the line. Because what can you do? You can't fire the owner. And no one has ever been forced to sell because the team is perpetually bad. Who has ever sold the team because they've just said, you know what? I suck at this. I'm not good at owning a team. I'm going to sell. No one does it. So you're just stuck. You're stuck until they do sell or until somebody in the family Somebody with the DNA that traces to George Hallis ends up landing in a position where that person has the skills and abilities and can lead the team out of the mess. It's one of the reasons why I love the NFL. You've got these billion-dollar organizations that ultimately are run like monarchies. And eventually, that team is going to get passed to somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're doing, and it's going to be a mess. And, and I think that's part of the problem with a lot of these bad teams. It's the ownership. Yeah. But it's not obvious because they don't want it to be obvious. They want to have someone else to blame for the fact that the team is so bad. The fish stinks from the head down, Mike. And I, it's a great quote, and it applies to the Bears as much as it applies to the Giants because with their history and what they've done here lately, it absolutely goes up to ownership and goes up to Ted Phillips, president of the organization, all the way down. It's just not a very good organization right now, and they need to do something to fix it. Well, we'll see what they do, and we'll see if Matt Nagy is employed when Friday rolls around. Last year, that was the swan song for Matt Patricia, and it does give a team that's already had its bye week a mini-bye to get ready for the next game because you fire the guy Thursday night. In theory, you know, well, not in theory, in reality, you get a couple extra days. I don't know that's going to matter, but it is going to give you some extra time to turn it around and see where it goes. The Bears, though, have never fired 
a head coach during the season. Right. And that has something to do with the fact that George Hallis coached the team for 40 years. I never knew this, or if I knew it, I'd forgotten it. This amazed me today when I looked yeah. up George Hallis's coaching record. He coached the team four different times, 10 years at a time. Like 10 years was all yeah. he could do it, and I'm done for a couple years. And he'd come back and he'd do it 10 more years. <laughs> I'm back. done for a couple years. 10 more years, I'm done for a couple years. And then finally 10 more years, and he was done for good. But, yeah, he's not going to fire himself, just like Jerry Jones isn't going to fire himself as the GM, and the fan base just has to deal with it, Shereen. Yeah, and let's, let's get uh, the McCaskies in there as head coach. I would love to see that, right? I don't – Know that they can do any worse than some of the coaches that they've had here recently, but would love to see the McCaskies take over as head coach. Well, they're the ones hiring the coaches. They may as well just coach the team because yeah. you're right. It can't be much worse, but it would definitely be more interesting. Speaking of the Joneses, here's Jerry from his weekly Tuesday appearance, not to be confused with his weekly Friday appearance on 105.3 <laughs> The Fan in Dallas, talking about Amari Cooper and his unvaccinated status that has resulted in a positive COVID outcome and two games that Cooper will miss Sunday against the Chiefs and coming up this Thursday against the Raiders. Here's Jones. We're going to a classic case of how it would have been different vaccinated. Jerry, are you disappointed in Amari? Well, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, again, I said it early. You check me at the door in uh, a football team. Uh, that has nothing to do with the issues of masking, not masking, getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated. And if I have a tone, I shouldn't. It just has nothing to do with it. The facts are it is a wee thing when you walk into uh, the locker room and anybody is being counted on to uh, pull his weight. Everybody expects that. They look around at each other. They understand everybody's rights. They do. We do. Everybody understands our rights. Now, Mark Cooper is outstanding, folks. He's one of the highest character guys that you will ever be around in any area. But this is a classic case of how it can impact a team when people are, at the end of the day, this is not individual, it is team. You cannot win anything individually. Right. So, so all of that are statements that I know everybody has heard to their blue in the face. But the point is that this popped us. This did pop us. You know, when the Cowboys gave Amari Cooper a five-year, $100 million contract in early 2020, it was and it is a two-year, $40 million deal and a team option as a practical matter, 22, 23, 24 at $20 per year in salary. I already thought he was in danger of not coming back. I think this clinches it. If, If he resisted getting vaccinated when... Jerry made it clear. This isn't the first time that Jerry Jones has said this is a a we thing, not a me thing. And you got Michael Irvin on top of it, who was one of the first former players to come out and say loudly and clearly, if you want to win football games, if you're committed to winning, you get vaccinated because this is just one less thing you got to worry about derailing your season. And TMZ spoke to Irvin yesterday and he was hot and he made a good case about it. And he said, I am hot about this to the extent that Irvin has any influence over Jones, and I don't even need necessarily to believe that Jones needs to be influenced. I think Amari Cooper signed his own pink slip with this. And, and, and again, maybe he sensed they weren't going to keep him next year because they're going to need the money for C.D. Lamb. But $20 million is going to be too much to pay Amari Cooper next year when there's plenty of other great receivers out there. Well, 
What I'll say is they really missed Amari Cooper on Sunday. And they, you know, A, it was selfish of him to put himself in this situation. And I know Dak Prescott defended him after the game. And and I tweeted this out. Dak says, hey, show me somebody even vaccinated who's come back sooner than 10 days. Ladies and gentlemen, I present Ben Roethlisberger came back sooner than 10 days. That's simple. He played Sunday night. He tested positive the Saturday before. Now, they had a short turnaround here, but perhaps if Amari Cooper was vaccinated, he doesn't even get COVID in the first place. He put himself in a bad situation, and, you know, that's on him, and that hurt the Cowboys. But I think they saw that they need him to do what they want to get done this season, if not beyond, so... They've got to find a receiver some way, whether that's Amari Cooper or somebody else. Michael Gallup's also a free agent, so they have to bring somebody in to pair with CeeDee Lamb if they move on from Amari Cooper after this season. Mike, he's been outstanding on the field, 44 catches, 583 yards, and three touchdowns, but you don't do your team any good when you're not there, and it doubly hurts when CeeDee Lamb goes out on the last offensive snap of the first half with a concussion. Quick point, then we've got to take a break. Because of the way the rules work, and, and you're right, it's entirely possible he never would have gotten COVID if he'd been vaccinated. But all things equal, let's say he was going to get it anyway. Here's the reality. If you are vaccinated, you're tested once a week. Let's say he was tested last Monday. And if you're unvaccinated, you're tested every day. So he was tested Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, negative, 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 negative. The positive was either Thursday or Friday. My point is his one test per week would have been negative. He'd have been good to go for the Chiefs game. They would have found out when they tested him. Monday of this week that he was positive if he still had it and he would have been out for one game this Thursday and he would have been good good to go for the Saints game the following week so that's the practical impact all things equal if he'd been vaccinated he wouldn't have tested positive late last week because he wouldn't have been tested until after the game against the Chiefs and maybe that's all the difference they needed maybe he is so good that he would have made enough of an impact that they would have scored more than nine points and would have won the game. So uh, Jones is right. Irvin's right. And I I just look at it this way. When it's time to make the $20 million decision about Amari Cooper after the season, the fact that he cost himself two games is not going to be one of the items in the pros ledger when they're doing the pros and cons of paying him another 20 million. All right, let's take a break. MDS will join us for the week 11 awards, one of which will not be going to Amari Cooper when this Tuesday PFTPM continues. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Uh, the problem with turf toe is that, you know, it's that joint in your big toe and, and it is very painful. So naturally I'm leading people to understand that if it's worse than turf toe, there must be some sort of bone issue. Did you stove your stub your toe? You were walking around with COVID. Bang! Is that what happened out there? Look, Pat, I've already talked enough about on this show about my uh, medical uh, status and other ways. So I'm gonna. I've given you enough information at this point. I have a injury that's not going away, and I'm gonna be dealing with it for at least the next few weeks. That's. Aaron Rodgers from earlier today on the Pat McAfee Show. I think we need to work on our framing, guys. So, like, one of us is high, one of us is low, and one of us is just right. It's like the three bears that they had going on there. We're kind of all straight across the top. They were all over the place today. But, uh, anyway, Aaron Rodgers, it's more than turf toe. He's got a bone issue. I don't know why he's talking about this so openly, but we'll see how that plays out in the coming weeks. They have their bye after this Sunday's game against the L.A. Rams. MDS joins us now. For the week 11 awards. Before we get started, MDS, interesting jersey choice back there. You got to let us know what that is and how it ties into the current news cycle in the NFL. Behind me is my practice jersey from Cary Grove High School. My senior year was 1994. The 2021 team is doing much better. They're in the state championship game on Saturday. But to get to the state championship game, they beat Lake Forest High School, the team that Matt Nagy's son plays for. And some of the students were chanting fire Nagy at that game. And now the school has apologized. I'm glad they apologized. The students, I think, got a little over their skis on that one. And Nagy was cool with it. And he said he actually didn't hear it. But he said, look, I understand people have their opinions and they're allowed to articulate them. I thought he was very pragmatic about all of the criticism he's receiving. And you know what? Maybe he's being smart because if he acts like it bothers him, it's probably only going to get worse. All right. Week 11 awards. Offensive player of the week. MDS, you're up. I got Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. He threw for 382 yards, uh, ran for 90 yards. Actually, the first player in NFL history to have 380 and 90 in a game. And I I think we all know how well this young quarterback is playing, but I don't know if we're giving him enough credit for just how elite a quarterback he is at the age of 23. His athletic ability, the way he sees the field, the way he can put an offense on his back late in the fourth quarter – all just outstanding. I think he's a legitimate MVP candidate. I don't think, I think the Chargers would probably have to run the table because so much of how we judge an MVP is how well his team does. But I I think he's in that class of player that I would consider him for MVP this year. Speaking of another guy who's putting himself in the MVP conversation, MDS, is Jonathan Taylor. And we all know what he did on Sunday. 32 carries, 185 yards, four touchdowns rushing, three catches, 19 yards, and a touchdown receiving. 204 total yards. He now leads the NFL in total touchdowns. Has just been great. Still doesn't lead the NFL in in rushing attempts, though. He's still behind Derrick Henry. And, Mike, to get that MVP award, as we just talked about, Adrian Peterson was the last running back to do it. I think he's going to have to set some sort of record. But the way he's played the last few weeks here, leading the Colts, maybe we have to have him at least in that conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, you have to have a special season if you're a non-quarterback of a number one seed. But Taylor is having that special season. We'll see what kind of a finishing drive he has. This guy's not going to get any MVP awards because there's so many great receivers out there. But i got to give some love to Justin Jefferson, who has had a spectacular career so far. He had his 11th 100-yard receiving game of his two-year career, matching Randy Moss, and he's got seven more games to surpass Moss, and he's got seven more games to catch Odo Beckham Jr., who has the Super Bowl-era record with 15. Eight catches for 169, two touchdowns. Should have had a third, and I really did think that the third one, the one that was wiped out on the long bomb, and I think this is it here, where he reaches out at the goal line. I think if we had the fixed cameras that Bill Belichick has been clamoring for, we would have seen that the front of that ball kissed the goal line, at least the front of the goal line. Uh, He had the touchdown catch coming out of the backfield. He had the touchdown catch that put the Vikings up 31-24 late. And uh, just just a phenomenal player. And, And not the same sizzle as Randy Moss. Not the same splash and panache that Moss had, but just consistently getting it done week in and week out and having a great career so far. All right, defensive player of the week for week 11. MDS, you are away. Patriots linebacker Kyle Van Noy had two sacks and a pick six as New England shut out Atlanta on Thursday night. And I think Van Noy just illustrates how good Bill Belichick's defenses have been at making the most of players' talents and putting them in the best position to win. You know, Van Noy was a second-round pick of the Lions, so the talent was never in doubt, but he just didn't play like a second-round pick in Detroit. He goes to New England, and he starts to show that talent he has. Then he spent one year in Miami last year. was a little bit of a disappointment. They cut him. Now he's back in New England playing well again. He's just the kind of player who fits into what Bill Belichick likes to do. This time last week, we couldn't wait for that Cowboys-Chiefs matchup to see Patrick Mahomes go against Dak Prescott. Guess what? It turned into a defensive battle, 19-9. to The Chiefs won. The best player on the field on Sunday was Chris Jones. No question about that. Five tackles, two for loss, three and a half sacks, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. A pass he defensed was intercepted. I mean, what more can you do as a defensive player? Eight pressures on Dak Prescott, moving him back inside has just been so key for the Chiefs and getting him healthy. They are a different defense, Mike, with Chris Jones inside and with him healthy. Yeah, and it's good that they realized the mistake they were making by moving him outside. You have, you have to have that, that havoc coming up the middle, and he is so good at that, and that was a big reason why the Chiefs won that game, big reason why they're 7-4 and four and moving in the right direction. Darius Slay, two straight weeks with touchdowns scored defensively. And last week's was overshadowed by Teddy Bridgewater's notorious non-effort to try to tackle Slay as he was returning a fumble. This time around, it was an interception. And he only allowed uh, one catch for nine yards against the Saints. And even with Trevor Simeon and all the other players who were injured, it's a Sean Payton offense. And for Slay to perform that way is impressive. One of the reasons why the Eagles are trending toward what would be a very unlikely playoff appearance. But at 5-6, and six, they are very much alive for that. MDS, Rookie of the Week, you're up. Jets receiver Elijah Moore had the best game of his young career with eight catches for 141 yards on Sunday. This has been a rough Jets season without a lot of progress in their rebuilding effort. But I do think Moore, a second-round pick, is someone the Jets have to be excited about. Jets coach Robert Sala hasn't had a lot to feel excited about this season, but he said 
after Sunday's game that Moore is going to be special. I think he's right about that, and the Jets have to hope Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore become a, a, a kind of pitch-and-catch combination who can win for them for years to come. Until further notice, I'm going to pick Michael Parsons as my rookie of the week. This is the second straight week I've picked him, and I think third or fourth overall. If Chris Jones was the best player on the field, Michael Parsons was the second best player on the field. Four tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, a forced fumble. He's definitely the defensive rookie of the year, barring injury, Mike. But do you put him in that conversation for defensive MVP as well as he's played? Or defensive player of the year? Entirely possible. It really is. Although if Chris Jones is going to be racking up three and a half sacks a game, he's probably going to run away with the thing. <laughs> yeah. But but it, but it is possible. Um, and, and I think we should just call it the Michael Parsons Award every week because one of us seems to pick him every single week as we look for three. And another rookie who, who may be eclipsing Jamar Chase as the presumptive offensive rookie of the year, Mac Jones. The mac and cheese that Matt Judon actually doesn't despise and doesn't advocate that we all avoid (laughs) you know it's just it's it's systematic it's robotic it's exactly what the patriots needed it looks smooth it works he runs that offense to perfection i think justin fields is more talented and maybe a better quarterback with a higher ceiling over the long haul but mac jones precisely what the patriots contemplated when they made him the 15th overall pick and here they are at seven and four they've got two big games coming up that will go a long way toward proving whether they're ready to be a deep into the playoffs contender this year with the titans and the bills in back-to-back games and if jones can come out and be as unaffected as he has been all year long in those games and not blink in the face of the titans or the bills defense then then they, they could be on their way back to the super bowl all right uh, coach of the week, MDS, you're up. Colts coach Frank Reich believed in Carson Wentz. He pushed a trade for him. He thought he could, they could win together. And after a rocky start this season, Reich appears to be correct. The Colts are on a three-game winning streak. They've been playing real well for a while now. You know, they haven't lost a game outside of overtime since September. Uh, they're competitive every single week. Uh, they played their best game of the season on Sunday against the Bills. They made the playoffs with Phillip Rivers at quarterback last season, and I think they're increasingly looking like they're going to be a playoff team with Carson Wentz this season. I think Frank Reich is a coach who deserves a lot of credit. When a team fires you, there is nothing better than getting revenge, and I can't imagine how good that felt for Ron Rivera to beat the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton in his first start in his return to Carolina. But Washington did an outstanding job, and Tyler, Taylor Heineke, who we haven't had uh, as one of our Offensive Players of the Week, but probably deserved it over these last two weeks, the way he's played, they really have a chance to make a playoff push now. They're 4-6. and six. They've beaten the Bucks and Panthers. They've got five division games left, Mike, including two against the Cowboys. All right, real quickly from me, and look, it wasn't a defensive masterpiece by the Vikings, but Mike Zimmer gets it for one very important reason, and that is ensuring that there was no window of opportunity, there was no time left, there was not even one tick on the clock for Aaron Rodgers to try to catch or beat the Vikings when they made made a field goal that put the Vikings ahead as time expired against the Packers. That gets it for Zimmer because other coaches – haven't quite mastered the art of leaving no time. Speaking of leaving no time, we have barely left us enough time to finish the show. We'll say goodbye and happy Thanksgiving to MDS, and we'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. 
The Detroit Lions hosted the Chicago Bears in the first ever Thanksgiving game back in 1934, November 29, at University of Detroit Stadium. George Hallis's Bears won the game 19-16 to keep their record perfect at 12-0. Bronco Nagurski threw a game-winning touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. And look, it's always been Lions and Cowboys for as long as I've been watching football, and I don't care that the Lions aren't very good. And even in the years when the Cowboys aren't very good either, I don't care. It's just the tradition. You know, it's the it's what you do. You watch the Lions, then you watch the Cowboys. And now we watch that third game that is the variety pack game. It's what we do. I've got no complaints and I've got no concerns. And I'm not one of these that says the Lions and the Cowboys should lose their home game, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, when you grew up in Texas, you, you grew up with two things. You grew up watching the Cowboys at the at the 3.30 Central Time slot, and you grew up watching Texas and Texas A&M play at night. And, of course, since A&M moved to the, the SEC in 2012, we haven't had that Texas-Texas A&M game. But think about this. You had 100,000 people go to both of those games, 200,000 people in the state of Texas in the past, watching games in our state. That's what we do. We go to games on Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving on a different game. Or if you're home watching on TV, you have Thanksgiving and watch both of those games. And unfortunately, you know, we haven't had the Texas-Texas A&M game. But my first game, Mike, in person, 1973, the Dolphins beat the Cowboys 14-7. I was so excited to go see the game. It was a dud of a game. And then I went back in 76 and saw the Cowboys beat the Cardinals 19-14. So that was the two games I saw in person as a fan, as a kid, growing up my first two games. So pretty cool experience to, to have that on Thanksgiving. And my most memorable, believe it or not, since when I covered the Cowboys was Randy Moss just going off on the Cowboys. They had passed on Greg Ellis. I mean, they had taken Greg Ellis, passed on Randy Moss, and he came out and showed him three catches Three touchdowns, just an incredible game, 163 yards. Two of them went for uh, over 50 yards. And I know you remember that one, Mike, but I had a sidebar on Randy Moss, and it was a fun sidebar to write because he was just so good and then after the game so outspoken about the Cowboys passing on him. Well, because they told him they were going to take him, and they got freaked out at the last minute and didn't take him. And they had two first-round picks. Did they not? Did they not? Yes, correct. Was it them? Yep. They had two, and they passed on him twice. Mm. And this one was the most impressive to me. He catches that short pass. He does that little shoulder dip. He does that shoulder dip, and he's just (laughs) gone. Uh, That was special. And, you know, there was something about that old Texas stadium. The way the lights were, I don't know what it was, but it it created – and not that it was anything to look at on the outside. I remember I was in Dallas once and went by it, and I thought, boy, that place looks like crap. But the way it came across on TV – there was something that gleamed about games played at Texas Stadium. It was always special to have a Cowboys home game any time of the year, but especially on Thanksgiving. And you mentioned Texas-Texas A&M. That was the first college rivalry that I was ever aware of as a kid because they played it on Thanksgiving night. I remember being on like yeah. ABC on Thanksgiving night, and you so rarely got college football yeah. games on TV. I just remember being aware that that was a big deal, and so I always think Texas-Texas A&M around Thanksgiving time. So uh, great Thanksgiving traditions. 1993, and we had the moment kind of like that recently for the Cowboys against the Broncos, yeah. the Leon Led game. That's just amazing the day that they had that that ice storm through the hole yeah. that they left in the roof of Texas Stadium so God could watch, and there's God looking away. Jerry averting his eyes. Leon, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing, Leon? What a game that was. Oh, My Leon. goodness.
And you think of so many of those Cowboys getting Clint Longley, the Hail Mary game when he replaced Roger Staubach before he punched him out, by the way, and just so many things. They lo- they twice lost this game, Mike, in back-to-back years. They were trying to build the fan base in St. Louis with the, ran- with the uh, Cardinals, so they had it there two times in the 70s, and finally they couldn't build that fan base and nobody went to the game. It wasn't a tradition, so... Pete Rozelle told Tex Ram, hey, it's yours if you want it, and you can have it forever, and the Cowboys have had it forever since then. And I think they always will, as will the Lions. I don't see it changing in our lifetimes. Maybe at some point down the road it will, but it won't be my problem at that point. And 1993 season, even though they lost to the Dolphins, worked out well for the Cowboys. They won the Super Bowl to cap that campaign. So uh, let's take a break. When we return, we'll bust open the mailbag on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. We'll be right back. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I suggested solution. Russell Wilson, after the season, gets traded to the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield, after the season, gets traded to the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff gets traded from the Lions to the Seahawks, and they throw him into the Pacific Ocean. That's the solution. (laughs) We proposed that earlier today. Mike Kadeski says the Pacific Ocean would not accept the trade. (laughs) Uh, We tried. We tried. But uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes for all of those quarterbacks after the season. I have a feeling that all three of them potentially could be on the move, although who knows yeah. what's going to happen with Baker and the Browns. Question from the PFTPM Posse. What's next for Jason Garrett, Shereen? Another chance at offensive coordinator? Does he need to go back to quarterbacks coach? Remember when he was offered the Ravens and the Falcons head coaching job? He was a hot commodity once upon a time. What do you think is next for him? Well, you know what's interesting to me? If Bill O'Brien gets a college job, which he's a candidate for some of these college jobs, he's the offensive coordinator at Alabama, Saban and Jason Garrett are close. Jason really doesn't have too much of a tree. I don't know who would, who would hire him in the NFL, but perhaps he goes back to Alabama to work for Saban, as he did with the Dolphins when the two were there together. He got his start there and becomes the offensive coordinator. That would be an interesting move, I think, that both men would, would like. Miles has chimed in with his idea for a proposed trade. Baker Mayfield from the Browns to the Giants for Daniel Jones. Who says no? Well, Freddie Kitchens would be happy about a Baker Mayfield reunion now that Freddie's calling the plays, although I have a feeling (laughs) Freddie may not be there after the season. We'll see. I don't know why Miles, the Browns fan, Shereen, would want Daniel Jones. 
Yeah, exactly. I was wondering the same thing. Why, Miles? Why? It's going to be another offseason where we see a lot of quarterback movement because there's so many young guys coming into the league that show what they can do. Teams will be willing to roll the dice on a rookie and say, see you later to a veteran. We say, see you later, Shereen. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see everybody else tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. for BFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.